0: Welcome to this is Apologetics with Joel Cetace. I am Joel Cetace, and I'm joined here with my old friend, and I mean old in the sense of I've known him for a while. And um, you know, quite quite honestly, he's getting up there.
1: That's
0: right. He is getting up there. Um, and uh, my my friend's name is Brandon Cooper. So, Brandon, welcome. Thank you. Good yeah. Glad to have you with us. Glad to have you with me. And um, while we're waiting for people to join, let's um, let's just, uh, you know what, let's talk about our days. Brandon, how was your day today?
1: My day was all right. Uh, sermon prep, getting ready for the next series, and uh, also reviewing the last series so that I could uh, come on this show tonight.
0: Very nice. <laughs> hey, um... Okay, I'm, I'm a little confused, I'm going to be honest with you, because I think you're sitting here next to me, and yet I'm looking on Facebook, and Brandon Cooper just joined the, the oh, video.
1: That's awesome. Would
0: that be someone that you know, perhaps?
1: That's probably my wife, if I had to guess.
0: All right, all right.
1: Big shout out to Amy. Hi, Amy.
0: <laughs> hey, Amy. Glad you're watching. John Blaze, watching. Hey, you were talking about, um, you and I, before we started recording, you were talking about Safe Families, uh-huh. and... Um, Safe Families is a ministry run out of Lydia, Lydia Home. And John Blazy is no longer at Lydia, but for a long time he was like the, the honcho over there at, at Lydia Home. Okay. And so uh, John, thanks for joining us, man. And um, yeah, John's just a, a great guy, great guy to get to know. Um, well, let's go ahead and get started. I wanna introduce everybody to Brandon. If you don't know Brandon, this is a guy who is really worth getting to know. And um, so, Brandon, why don't you maybe just give us a little bit of a personal bio about yourself? Who are you? What are you all about? What do you do? What's your lot in life? You know, give us the uh, give us the rundown on Brandon Cooper. The highlights.
1: All right, I'm a Chicagoland native, so love it here. Feel called to be here and all of that. I was born uh, in Glenview. Uh, my met my wife uh, when I was in college. We were married, uh, well, I was in seminary. I'm a Ted's grad, uh, so best seminary in the world. Amen. Right. Uh, went on the mission field after that, and so we were uh, down in South America, in Colombia for seven really? years, um, really? where I was a, a chaplain at a missionary school and also working with a lot of Colombian mission uh, ministry leaders, uh, kids. Uh, it was exciting. Um, got to uh, put uh my heart for relational disciple making uh, into into practice down there and and hone my craft somewhat uh mm. came back to Neighborville in 2012. this is where you and i then got to know each other uh yes. i was at grace point Neighborville, you were at grace point plainfield and uh privileged to serve alongside you then the privilege um, was mine all right. uh still partially a, partially yours too partially mine at least uh, doing some more discipleship uh and as well and then in uh, 2015 moved to uh elmhurst what was first baptist church of elmhurst now city View community church mm-hmm. uh been there coming up on four years uh, where I get to serve as senior pastor just a tremendous group of people and so uh, thrilled to thrilled to be able to serve there
0: right on awesome and you're married to amy married amy and you've got four girls and each one is cuter than the next
1: that is right. Yes, I mean they are good yes. lookers. Take after their mother.
0: <laughs> Thank God yeah, for exactly that, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> uh, same with my kids. Um, wonderful. And so, when you're not pastoring, preaching, uh, writing curriculum and stuff like that, we'll talk about that in a minute. But what do you guys like to do? What do you do for fun? What's What's fun look like for the Cooper family?
1: Well, for the Cooper family, we like to be outside. We're having the most fun if we're outside, okay. uh, hiking out in nature. Um, we love animals. We love to look for animals. And we love birds. We love to watch the birds in our backyard. Yeah. It's a, that's a highlight for us. We had a good bird day today, so it's it's fresh on my mind and all that. Cool. Um, yeah, we do a lot of that. Uh, soccer, baseball, we, we love to cheer on our Chicago teams. And, right on. Uh, all of that. You are a Cubs fan. I am a Cubs fan.
0: So you went to the best seminary in the world, that's right. Trinity, mm-hmm. and you are a fan of the best baseball team in the
1: world. Yeah.
0: All cool. right. So now everybody can see why Brandon and I hit it off. And, um, you know, just he, he's objectively just has great taste. And um, so Brandon and I, you know, we both worked at Grace Point Church, and I was the youth pastor at the Plainfield campus and, um, you were the, you were the youth pastor, but you did a lot. You did more than that. Yeah,
1: the discipleship pastor Yes, um, was over the youth ministry at the Naperville campus as well, mm-hmm. um, but handled the small groups in the discipleship ministry at the Naperville campus. Yeah.
0: And you've just got such a heart
1: for discipleship.
0: That's, would you say that that's like, is that your biggest passion when that it comes to ministry? Is,
1: that is way up there for sure. Mm-hmm. Is there something above that? I mean, the Word of God is pretty high on my list, too. It's okay. tough to separate them. They go together, right. I understand. So.
0: Great, yeah, okay. Yes, God's Word is...
1: Jesus. I, I
0: too, love God's Word <laughs> <laughs> and put that as my highest priority. Thanks, Brandon. Uh-huh. Great. Um, No, that's good. Usually, I'm Bible-juking people, so good. Good. Well, well played. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, tonight, we are going to talk about... A topic that is well it let's see it's related to discipleship because every disciple of Jesus Christ needs to be able to art- articulate what we're going to talk about tonight and it's related to apologetics as the, sh- the name of this show this video and podcast series is called this is apologetics and this is this is a question that's related to apologetics because it has to do with giving a defense not just of some sort of bare theism, Mm -hmm. not just of the existence of God or of sort of a belief in the the man upstairs, but specifically Mm -hmm. the biblical worldview, the biblical religion, the biblical system of thought, belief, and faith that we call Christianity. And uh, the question is, what makes Christianity different? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and Really kind of embedded in that is the idea, not just that Christianity is, is unique in the way that, you know, every religion, every philosophy, every system is unique, they all have their own characteristics, yeah. but Christianity is unique in a way that no, no other system is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we want to get into that, we want to talk about this question, what does make Christianity unique? And so, and the reason why I wanted to have Brandon on, other than just the fact that he's, he's an expositor of scripture, he's a pastor, uh, he's shaped my own pastoral ministry in a, a lot of ways. Do you remember um, Homiletics Club?
1: I do.
0: Yes, we, uh, this guy would scrutinize my sermons, I would get up there and preach, <laughs> and he would just rip them to shreds. And so, okay, so if you're watching this and you've ever gained something out of my preaching— You've got this guy to thank because seriously, in those early years, it was it was pretty rough.
1: It was we all start off rough. You can't skip that step.
0: No, it was pretty rough. But um, but I wanted to have Brandon on because at his church, at City View Church, City View Community Church, Mm -hmm. they've been doing this series called "No Other." uh, What makes Christianity different? Did I get that right? What makes Christianity unique? What okay. makes Christianity unique? Right. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So when I saw that he was doing this series, I saw this on Facebook and I thought, you know what? This, this is it. I gotta, I gotta have Brandon on. We gotta talk about this. And so as we go, um, if you have questions, if you're watching this live on Facebook right now, and you've got questions, comments, concerns, conundrums, queries, um, couple of Baptists in the room, so I thought a little alliteration yeah, would, would be, be, best. Would would be, be appropriate. Best. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a small B Baptist, you're a big B Baptist, um, which means, you know, I get to drink and smoke and chew and go with girls who do it. I don't think, I don't think you're allowed to do that. Uh, no comment. Okay. And, and and I don't do that anyway, because I'm happily married man, and shame on anyone for thinking otherwise. So uh, we, we're going to get into this question. If you have comments, then um, please share them. And we will do our best to interact with them. Um, I see that Corey Daniel is watching. Now, this is a guy that I really only know through Facebook, but um, I feel like he and I are really cut from the same cloth. He he shares all the memes that I like. Uh, he I, I tend to find him like liking and commenting on the same sorts of things that I do. You know, I'll get to this page. Oh. Yeah, Paul Washer said that. Yeah, that's good. I'm gonna like that. Oh, Corey Daniel beat me to it. You know, it's one of these guys. So, um, Corey, glad you're watching. And uh, anyway, so let's let's dive into this. And um, Brandon, I'm gonna ask that um, this microphone is a good mic, but it's not overly powerful. And so, if you could, uh, you know, pretend you're preaching on a, a Sunday morning, and the and the mic is about three feet away from you. All right. All right. So, let's let's get started. And um, let me tell you what, let's start here. Why why this sermon series? Why now? Why did you feel like this was important?
1: Uh, it's a good question. Um, part of it is uh, almost every year after Easter, we uh, try and tackle one of the the big issues uh, for our post-Easter series. Uh, okay. We've got some guests always on Easter, uh, people who are coming out, maybe only come out on Easter and Christmas Eve, and so we're trying to uh, draw them in, get them to take the time to investigate the faith and understand why people believe, why people would show up every week to church mm. and not just yeah. twice a year, uh, yeah. and why the gospel matters so much. and so we uh, usually have a series that 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 asks a question, hopefully piques some curiosity and uh, draws people in and uh, we so we've, we've tackled suffering, for example, uh, one mm. year in fact one year we just did six reasons Christianity can't be true. Uh, and looked at the six main objections to Christianity. That was our series. That, that was our first time out. So that was a that was a fun series. Big How'd banner, big banner out front that, that said six reasons Christianity can't be true. And we had people pulling into our parking lot, uh, really angry with us because they, <laughs> they couldn't figure out why we didn't believe in Christianity anymore. So, <laughs> right? Uh, They're like,
0: great, another church has gone liberal. Yeah, Here we right. go. So uh, we
1: we. We, we tried to show that it actually is true uh, throughout that series. So uh, we hit some That's of those, the, cool. uh, the authority of Scripture last year and, and constantly being challenged these days. Mm. But, uh, this time out, we looked uh, at what makes Christianity unique. Um, it is a pressing issue. Uh, even though in our culture, people are probably not rubbing shoulders with a ton of different faiths mm-hmm. uh, around here in chicago i mean sure you uh, my next door neighbors are, are muslim for example certainly mm-hmm. um there are going to be plenty of people from jewish faith uh, hinduism buddhism whatnot but uh, you know maybe not every religion on the planet represented in in your right. sphere of influence right but we what we do have in our culture uh, we're all surrounded by it all the time uh, is the idea that Look, even to claim that a religion is unique is a little bit offensive, feels mm-hmm. intolerant. So what we're trying to deal with is that that coexist objection to Christianity. And the coexist doesn't mean, um, you know, live nicely next door to each other because a lot of us are doing that just fine. Again, mm-hmm. I get, get along well with my next door neighbor, for example. Uh, but it means temper your beliefs. Don't be a fanatic. Don't be a fundamentalist. One of those guys... It, at their core, every religion is pretty much the same, isn't it? And so take a chill pill.
0: We're mm. trying
1: to evangelize me, and let's just all love each other. We can't define what love is because we'd have to smuggle in all sorts of metaphysical ideas or um, right. assumptions. But uh, but let's just love one another. So since that's the culture that we're in, we need to be able to uh, equip people, uh, either to challenge people who agree with that That assumption that argument uh, or to equip people to respond to it hmm. as they head out into the workplace the neighborhood uh, family gatherings wherever it might be so that's uh, that's why we tackled that issue
0: okay so as you're preparing your sermons then when you're thinking about the faces in the congregation you're going to be preaching to in your mind are you seeing believers are is your is your target to strengthen the faith and prepare the believers or is it for those priesters, those Christmas and Easter Christians who are coming in and kind of thinking, yeah, all religions are about the same, Mm -hmm. you know, so are you, are you preaching to the the non-believer? Are you preaching or the nominal believer, or are you preaching to the believer who needs to be strengthened and encouraged?
1: Preaching to both, Um, you know, and maybe in some ways my, my target area uh, because I think it, if I'm if I'm hitting this group, I'm probably a- addressing both of those. as I'm I'm preaching to the high school students and the college students right. who believe, but who aren't necessarily battle tested yet, and who are, I mean, just getting dunked in this culture mm. uh, for sure. Their faith will be challenged at. Every class they go to in high school and and college if they're not uh, in in Christian education or something like that and so uh, Trying to Mm -hmm. help them in a lot of ways to see that their faith is reasonable uh, That their faith um, Is defensible and not only that the things that they're being challenged with are not necessarily defensible. They're usually logically contradictory Uh, They're they've got also let me just we'll hit the main one right out the gate like I said so I, I, I shared your, your post earlier today about my being on this uh, this podcast, uh-huh. and um, you know I was a little nervous because I thought, well, some people are going to see this, and here yep. we got it. What well, makes Christianity unique? And I'm going to get some eye rolls from people. Um, thankfully, they don't have the eye roll option on the uh, post yet, so right. I didn't I didn't see them, but I knew they were there, because even to claim Christianity is unique is, um, as I mentioned earlier, it, it sounds arrogant, offensive even, because our, our, our culture today says all religions are equally valid. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that you know, you're Christian, that's, that's good for you, but right. uh, try not to speak of it in ways that make it seem like your religion is normative. Let's talk about it in ways that make it seem like this is one possible approach to ultimate reality can't call it god because to speak of god would be Mm -hmm. uh, to imply a personal being which may or may not exist and all of that but you start to see how um, self-refuting religious pluralism is almost immediately religious pluralism meaning the the coexist objection the the religions are all equally valid and and try not to be a fundamentalist Uh, first of all john hicks probably the main i you know, see so you got john hick on your shelf so i'm not, i
0: I'm do not, have john hick on my shelf and let the record show that that is for opposition research only uh-huh. it was a, a a requirement for class um yeah, john hick is uh,
1: the preeminent religious pluralist in the world right
0: he's he's doing the most work he's taking the work of guys like Immanuel kant to their religious conclusions not only can we not know things in and of themselves we have We can't know anything about god we we ultimately can't even know if he exists if he's he if he has revealed himself it's complete and utter
1: total agnosticism toward the idea of god right so his reason for doing that is because then we can say all religions are equally valid right because we don't actually know and so you want to experience god as a father uh, as Trinity, as great, good for you, but none of that's necessarily real. He could be anything. A little bit self-refuting already because the idea that God is unknowable to that extent is a very strong claim. Mm-hmm. Of ultimate reality is unknowable, right. is a very strong claim about the nature of ultimate reality. And he is trying to evangelize us by convincing us that ultimate reality is unknowable. And so... Uh, right there, he's he's a fundamentalist for religious pluralism, and he's trying to persuade, proselytize, whatever you want to say. Mm. His big argument, too, um, is it's the well-meaning people. It's it's so intuitive. I like it. It, it makes sense to me. I think it makes sense to all of us when we first hear it. Once you meet a well-meaning Buddhist, Muslim, Jew, on down the line, doesn't matter. It's so arrogant to think you've got the right answer mm-hmm. and they don't they're equally pious equally devoted probably a better person i got no problem saying that yeah you know
0: it, it's it's almost as if insisting that christianity is the only true religion is downright unchristian it's,
1: yeah doesn't it feel that way <laughs> yeah it's so unloving jesus wouldn't say anything like that no. like I'm the way the truth and the life no one comes with the father except through me that he wouldn't say that <laughs> right but the problem of course is that the well-meaning person argument works against religious pluralists too. Once the religious pluralist meets a well-meaning exclusivist like me, um, shouldn't they, you know, as soon as you've got somebody who disagrees with you, you're supposed to say, okay, let me temper Mm -hmm. my argument then. Let me, let me step back and say, I I don't want to insist on this. And yet it's precisely at that moment where they're insisting Uh, most heavily. In other words, religious pluralism is itself just as exclusivist as any other metaphysical position, any other worldview, philosophy, religion, whatever you want uh, to call it.
0: Right, because the idea is, it's not that all, on the surface of it, isn't it, all religions are equally true. But in order to make that claim, all religions would have to be, at least all religions that make any kind of exclusivist claim, Christianity, Islam. Every one of them. Right. Even the ones that say they don't are at the same time. Those all necessarily have to be false. So there's at least one tenet of every major religion, every religion, every thought system that is false. And so
1: pluralism comes along and says they're all true, but in saying so, actually negates them all, actually says that they're all false. Has to caricature them in ways that would make them absolutely unrecognizable to anybody who actually holds to that religion which feels almost worse than saying, I completely disagree with you. I think you're dead wrong, but I'm going to at least acknowledge that you have a real position that mm. you're holding. It's worthy of respect. That sounds like better coexistence and tolerance to me mm. than this, uh, this more culturally pervasive one that we see. It's a little paternalistic, a little patronizing. It is very patronizing. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So if pluralism is so... If it's so easily refuted, so to speak, and I realize even saying that sounds arrogant, but as you just, you know, as you just explained, Brandon, that holes, yeah, um, why is it so popular? Why is it so prevalent? Mm. What what is it about this moment in Western history, Western culture, specifically American culture, that pluralism, the idea that all religious thought, all religious systems, are equally valid. Why is that so popular? Why is that just so darn appealing to our high school students, college students, you know, those younger millennials, mm. those
1: Gen Z individuals coming up? I think there are a lot of different reasons. Certainly we could trace the you know, historical trends that lead us to that point. I don't think that's that interesting for our viewers though. So we'll, we'll skip that. That's yeah. the, that's the lecture piece. I think it has to do a lot with our moral intuition at this moment in history um and some of the key tenets of our moral intuition now um, have to do with ideas like fairness and equality Mm. and so we we want that to be true in religion as well uh and so there's this sense of you know can't we all just get along Mm. and there's a whole lot of not getting along we've got synagogues getting shot up and we've got mosques getting shot up in new zealand and we've got and so again Maybe a little less fanaticism and a little more, why don't we all just love each other? And and and
0: if we have to sort of downplay some of the exclusivistic truth claims of religions, hey, that's a small price to pay because Absolutely. at the end of the day, you can still believe that in your hearts and homes and pews. Yes. Just don't bring that out into the public square because in the public square, we need that to be secular. Mm-hmm. We need that to be pluralistic because like it or not, and you should like it, we're all here, but we need to be getting along with one another. And as soon as we start to, the, so it goes, so the argument goes, as soon as you start to allow for these exclusivistic claims, now you're opening the door to this radical fanaticism and somebody's gonna get hurt. Does that, does that seem to be the argument?
1: Yeah, that's right, and, and so we, we talk a lot about open-mindedness and that's mm-hmm. part of the problem, of course, is that if you're an exclusivist, you're, you're closed-minded. Uh, the problem with it though, and it, I think most of us like that most of the time. Like I'm for open-mindedness. I think that's great. Sure. If you're doing opposition research. That's what that looks like. We should be reading people who disagree with us. Mm-hmm. We should be having good conversation with people who disagree with us. But you can't be open-minded all the time about everything, and nobody is. Um, first of all, to be open-minded is to say that to be closed-minded is wrong. So right. We are closed-minded about being open-minded. Right. Right there. We're tolerant of everything except for intolerance. Except for intolerance. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, nobody wants to be open minded towards Nazis. I don't think you should be open minded about racism or human trafficking. And I don't think anyone else thinks that either. And so we have to we have to approach this a little differently. We have to go exclusivist claims are not the problem, right? What we do with exclusivist claims and how we arrive at our exclusivist claims, that's maybe where we need to dig in a little bit deeper. So there is, um, there's an intellectual laziness uh, that is at work in our culture. Um, our culture does not value critical thinking. We do not teach our children to do critical thinking. It's not um, something that we, I'm going to go off on education rant here. I don't want to do that, but uh, I, I wanted to
0: ask you, are your kids in the government school system?
1: We homeschool.
0: Okay. Which, uh, I, mean, I didn't know that,
1: that. that was, I mean, you, you felt that one coming out right there. Oh the, yes. So, yeah. That That's was good. It. Uh, but it is true. And we don't, so a lot of us, we hear the slogan. We're a meme culture. Let me put it that way. Hmm. You know, we're a meme culture. So if you can't say it in 140 characters, I think it could you 280 on Twitter now, but right. 280 characters, or a nice graphic on Facebook then mm-hmm. the argument of too long didn't read uh, we right. don't even write that out it's just TLDR right because yeah that's, that's too many letters it's Otherwise, a good point. and so if if I like the meme if I like the slogan that's good enough for me mm. coexist it's pretty it's 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 on a bumper sticker I can read it at 72 yeah. miles an hour like yeah. good enough for philosophy we don't want to dig in deep and really examine our beliefs all
0: right so for anyone who doesn't know what Brandon is talking about with this coexist bumper sticker you've you've probably seen them, they're ubiquitous. There are these, it's this blue bumper sticker and it's got the word coexist and each of the different letters is a symbol from one of the world's religions. So there's a cross for the T, right? There's a crescent, uh, the crescent of Islam for the C. Uh, There's the the yin and yang for the O. And the idea is, uh, the, the bumper sticker really is supposed to say it all in a single word and the idea is look, People believe differently. Just get along and stop claiming that your way is the only right way. Okay, really quick, we gotta give a couple of shout-outs here because my wife has now joined, Elisa. Um, Thanks for joining us, babe. Glad that you're you're with us. And I'm glad that you joined late because I made somewhat of an inappropriate comment earlier. Um, And so I'm glad that you're joining at this point. Uh, Larry D is joining us. Did you ever get to know Larry? Do you know who that is? I don't think so. Okay, so I met Larry. I've, I've introduced him on, in my Facebook videos, in my podcast. Like, every time he comes on, I give, like, his little bio. But he is – this is a, a brother who – Elisa and I met his wife and him early on. I mean, i have been at Grace Point for, like, maybe three months. And uh, we they were non-Christian. We invited them to come, and through Dan Painter's preaching mm-hmm. – um, Larry gets converted, regenerated, standing next to me in the church service. I mean, his he's, tears are coming down mm. as Dan's talking about how Jesus died for him. And uh, it was just this beautiful thing. Katie Katie uh, gets regenerated uh, maybe six months later. Larry, you can feel free to correct me on that. But Larry and I immediately started reading Self-Confrontation, oh, yeah. which was the Grace Point study. Look at this. I've got it right here. And uh, Brandon noticed this as soon as I mm-hmm. as soon as he came mm-hmm. into my office here, and um, so we started doing self confrontation, Larry and I, and uh, we started studying. Um, I introduced him to presuppositional apologetics mm-hmm. as I was just getting into it, and um, so he picked it up immediately. Started presupping anybody and everybody that came across his path, and uh, still to this day is. Um, I remember one time. We were at a staff meeting or something at Grace Point, and somebody asked you, "Who who was it that you disciple that you're like most proud of, mm-hmm. right?" And you pointed to Kyle. Kyle. Kyle, who's now your family pastor. Yep. I'm sorry, Family Ministries uh, yep. associate pastor. Associate pastor. Mm-hmm. And um, that's Larry, I think, for me. And so, if anybody else is watching this and I discipled you, <laughs> listen, I'm sorry, but uh, you know, up your game because Larry is uh, Larry's a straight up beast, and maybe I'm just not. I feel really bad right now that I said that, but I don't care. It's, it's a night of exclusivism. It's a night of making exclusivistic claims. And uh, Larry says, What's up with pre sub? Yes. Um, so, so uh, yeah, so Larry is an apologetics beast. Um, Larry's the guy who uh, will message me after these videos every Monday night and either tell me I did a great job or poke holes in all of my logic and all my argumentation. So, incidentally, what, what, um, school of thought of apologetics do you, would you say you subscribe to? Are you a supper
1: I have a lot of precept in me. And I find that when I argue, I sound like a cumulative case guy. Okay. That's probably how I would describe myself. Cool. I want to be more precept than I am, but it always comes out as look, when you stack all this stuff up together, there's only one conclusion.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Amen um someone once said and i don't know i don't think i came up with this i'm pretty sure someone else said this i've got no problem with an evidentialist argument as long as it's done in a presuppositional way yeah that's so that's what i strive for (laughs) (laughs) i i i can't argue with that so my wife says i'm so offended right now listen you know what i'm sure i'll be apologizing later all right so um we're talking we've talked a little bit about um i love you Elisa. We're talking about the exclusivity of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And maybe we might even say the exclusivism of Christianity. But really, we're talking about the uniqueness of what makes the Christian way of life, the Christian system of thought, the Christian uh, belief system, different, unique, one of a kind. So let's jump into this. So you've been preaching on this. You had been preaching on this. How long was your series? It's just a four-week series. Okay. And... The goal was to talk about the exclusive nature of Christianity for those folks who came at Easter. And, you know, you, you want to hook them in. Mm-hmm. You want to say, Hey, if you like Easter, well, we just talked about something pretty crazy. Right. A man rose from the dead. That's nuts. That's if nuts. you don't believe it, if you don't, if you don't accept it. Um, but that's not the only crazy claim that we make. Mm-hmm. We've got, we've got a few more <laughs> and, and why don't you come back and, and why don't you explore some of these claims with us? And let's talk about what makes Christianity different, what makes Christianity unique. Um, okay, Meg Simon just joined. Meg was my first boss at, um, at when, I, when I started out my first ministry position at the church, I was a kids ministry coordinator at Park before I came to Grace Point. And um, Meg is uh, just an all around great person, loves the Lord. Um, she and her family are just wonderful, wonderful people. So, Meg, thanks for, for joining us. And my sister August is watching. She says, I want to watch but can't can't because I don't have the app. Uh, that sounds like a technical problem. You might want to download the app. I think maybe if you download the app, then you would have the app. I think that would solve that. Sounds right to me. Okay. You know, dude, some of your... So, Brandon's got this rye... He never lived on the East Coast. Did you live on the East Coast? No. But he's from the North Shore. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to get a lot of similarities between I'm, the... I'm half Jewish, you have to remember. So I do remember. This comes out. It's yeah. one of the things I like most about so, you. I understand that. One of the few things that I really like about mm-hmm. you is that you're half Jewish. And I only half like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but uh, Brandon's got a, a great dry sense of humor. And I think some of it's rubbing off on me. Or maybe it's bringing out some of the the uh, latent sarcasm that I've been working so hard to eschew from my life. Mm-hmm um but now it's back in full force so let's talk about the exclusive nature of christianity the uniqueness of christianity and can we just
1: can we just unpack this what have you been talking about for the last four weeks so we looked at four areas in particular of course it's hard to to break it down but we we did what we could um so we looked at uh a a god like no other a human like no other Hmm. a salvation like no other and an end like no other uh, so this is where our four categories, uh, a God like no other, um, we're going to the, the prologue John's gospel. So John 1, 1 to 18, uh, it's not what John's trying to do. So the expositor in me is going, this isn't quite the emphasis, but he has so much jam packed into those 18 verses that uh, draw out the, the uniqueness of the Christian God. Uh, First of all, he he starts off in the beginning, so immediately we're thinking Genesis 1-1. So we have a a creator God who's wholly distinct from creation. He's eternal. He's self-existent. He is sovereign. He's king. He's got the attributes needed in order to rule uh, the world that he's created. That's all right there, just in three words before we even get to in the beginning was the word uh and we could talk about that as well um immediately uh, john brings up the fact that we've got one god and two persons in in john's prologue we could draw on the spirit and you know, we did a lot of biblical theology in this series of course so we've got a triune god and how unique that is of course that separates christianity from every other uh religion you know, bar none uh, even our closest uh, religious cousins, uh, both the Jewish faith and the Muslim faith, would not speak of one God in three persons, mm-hmm. uh, those three persons sharing one nature, and then the word became flesh. And so we've got that second person who shares that one nature also has two natures himself, and how unique that is, that you've got a God uh, who doesn't say, here's the way to get to me, but tell you what, I'll come get you. Um, y- y- the closest would be the, the idea of the Hindu avatar, but that's not Brahman who becomes uh, flesh. That would be, uh, it's especially Vishnu if I remember correctly. Uh, and so it's a lesser God. Okay. So right there, I was, I'm, I'm surprised,
0: pleasantly surprised you brought that up because there are, you will see false trinity like concepts mm-hmm. coming up in other religions. And you know, um, you you just alluded to Hinduism. Mm-hmm. And in Hinduism, there's this triumvirate of three gods, so to speak, who are, they each play a different role. Um, it's very much polytheistic, so it's not one god, three persons. Right. And in a sense, each of them is sort of a manifestation of one god. And yet, uh, it, it's, it's almost like a man-created approximation of what the Trinity filtered badly through a game of telephone over many centuries might come up with you know what's interesting though mm-hmm. um it's interesting that it was hinduism that came up with this Hinduism has more in common with Christianity than we sometimes realize absolutely even the concept of Brahman and um this I want to get it right and I'm not an expert on Hinduism but Sarasvati who is this female consort deity sort of like a a, a goddess wife character brahmin you've got brahmin you've got sarasvati who some have made a connection to abraham or abram mm. and sarah or sarai the names are so similar and they both have such ancient roots mm. that some have thought that there's sort of an ancient connection to mm. the near east that maybe one of them spread kind of into south asia whereas you know abraham um and and Sarah, of course, moved into Canaan and then into Egypt and then back to Canaan, you know, their descendants. Mm-hmm. And so some of some have thought that maybe there was there was kind of a mm-hmm. an ideological connection. I don't know. Have you ever heard that? before? I've not
1: heard that. That's OK, it's, it's an interesting yeah, rabbit trail to go down. Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, but OK, so you mentioned Hinduism and and there's this approximation there, but maybe uh, but but close but no cigar right. kind of thing. And they're really not Absolutely. that close still no cigar.
1: Right, not close at all and of course the conception of Brahman is very different from uh, the conception even of just a, a typical monotheistic god. They won't, wouldn't even refer to Brahman as, as uh, monotheistic but henotheistic because it's it's got that polytheistic and then pantheistic piece to it where it's just, it's the top god not the one god and that's a, it's a very different It's just a very different something, also not being an expert on Hinduism.
0: Right. So so you've got Brahman, which is kind of the world soul, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And then Brahman, the the realization you need to get to in Hinduism is that Atman is Brahman. Atman being the individual human soul Mm -hmm. is Brahman. We are God. God, meaning the world spirit. But in reality, Brahman is an impersonal, ultimate reality.
1: Absolutely. And Whereas, that personal God is another piece. Not that that's unique to Christianity. Of course, it is in some other places, mm-hmm. but separates it from a number of other religions, Eastern religions, uh, among others. Uh, and you see that in the concept of revelation, of course, because revelation requires a person. Uh, if you don't have a person, you can't have revelation. You revelation only,
0: meaning? Um, not the book of Revelation. Not the
1: book of Revelation. No, the idea of a, a, a superior being disclosing himself herself itself Mm -hmm. to uh to creatures yeah like that you can't have revelation without without personhood Mm. uh otherwise all you can have is discovery which is the way eastern religions would would speak of it where you have seers somebody who can peer around the corner into the, the the deep mysteries of the world and so that personal idea is very important it's interesting too because this is a challenge to our uh, atheists or naturalists as well i, I tried to compare uh, atheism relig- and naturalism these are all religious schools too metaphysical schools and so we, we we talked about that um looked at some david hume for example who who mocked revelation and 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 where true knowledge comes from and, and he he said um i mean i can quote him let me just I'll look at it it will sound smarter if i quote him Uh, where he says, if we take in our hand any volume of divinity or school of metaphysics, let us ask, does it contain any abstract reasoning concerning quantity or number? No. So any any mathematics in it? No. Does it contain any experimental reasoning concerning matter of fact and existence? Science. No. Uh, Commit it then to the flames, for it can contain nothing but sophistry and illusion. And so his point is the only way that we humans can actually know anything is through discovery, mathematics, and science. What's amusing of course is that David Hume is making an argument that has neither math nor science in it. Hmm. So we're supposed to burn his book according to him, but even that that's that's just that's just amusement's sake.
0: Wait, can we pause there for a second? Mm-hmm. David Hume, the scholar from the Enlightenment, the skeptic of all skeptics. Yes. The, the certainly the greatest skeptic to come along up to his point. Sure. All right. Beyond Hume, if you want to get more skeptical, you're basically in nihilistic territory. I think so. You can't know anything about anything whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But here you've got Hume. He's still running on the fumes of sort of the Christian Christendom kind of worldview. Uh, if you don't know who Hume is, he's, he's someone you ought to at least be aware of. Sure. He explains a lot of where we're at today. Absolutely. But here's this guy who's basically saying, anyone who tries to make truth claims about the world, religious truth claims, that they're, they're not based on mathematics or science or observation, burn the book. Mm-hmm. And the first question that the good thinking Christian asks David Hume, if we could get in the same room is really. And upon what mathematics, science, and observation is your idea based? At and, and which, which point Hume starts getting hot under the collar and hemming and hawing and uh, uh, politely excuses himself to use the, to powder his nose or whatever they did in the
1: Enlightenment era. And while he's back there, we think a little bit harder even and realize, uh, again, skip the amusement part of all of this. Mathematics is itself an assumption. I think the assumption is right, but it is an assumption. You cannot prove mathematics is true, of course. Even take scientific inquiry, which is one of the things we go, well, sure, we, we know this, we see this. You cannot prove the reliability of your senses Science is, of course, based on mathematics, and now you can't prove mathematics. Uh, You don't have any of the ethical underpinnings, like, I should um, share data accurately, report data accurately. Like, you can't even, you can't get science or mathematics either. So, absolutely everybody in this whole world is basing what they believe either on revelation or assumption. And I don't know why we would, uh, you know, sneer at revelation and be really comfortable with assumption. Right. It feels like, if anything, revelation is maybe firmer ground to stand on. Let's test all of it still.
0: So, so the idea is there's only ultimately two sources of two foundations for knowledge
1: of any kind. Yeah, if you get all the way down to the basement, you're right, looking at what the slab is,
0: right. Either we we just Try to drum up these fundamental principles on nothing, and we take our foundation and we plant it firmly in midair, yes. and we try to build a house on that, mm-hmm. which Jesus calls shifting sand. Yes. Um, and then whatever beautiful edifice we end up building is ultimately founded on nothing. There's nothing there other than this is how I think things ought to be, and to which someone may reply, "Well, who are you?" And you right. say, "I'm stardust." Uh, floating around. I'm a product of random chance. I don't really know where I came from, but I'm mm-hmm. sure that science will someday figure it out. You know, the science that I've come up with based on my ethereal uh, postulations based on nothing right. essentially. Okay. Or the the other alternative is somebody with all knowledge reveals knowledge to us and says, Hey, here's a good foundation. Yeah. Here's a, here's a starting point. Here's something you can really build a solid worldview on it's called the fear of the lord and proverbs 1 7 says the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge so you've either got revelation or you've got essentially gases and stardust uh trying to explain itself fair And,
1: and, and you lead into almost all the rest of the series with that point because uh i feel like it would be really difficult to develop a coherent metaphysical system I know I am not personally bright enough to do this. On your own. On my
0: own. So metaphysics being the study of what's actually
1: there behind what we experience. All of it. So okay. a, a, you know, a man-made religion mm-hmm. or a man-made philosophical system, you're going to start to see one of two things happen. Either there's going to be massive contradictions built into the foundation, so it's an unstable foundation, or you're not really going to be able to make sense of all the data. And so you're going to end up having to to deny huge pieces of what we're pretty sure is true. And uh, that's where we kind of went in the, especially the human, a human like no other, a little bit uh, with the end like no other as Mm. well, because the human piece is an interesting one. So, all right, we've got a different conception of God. Well, God is spirit and we can't see him if it's him moves in mysterious ways. So of course he's shrouded in mystery. We're going to have different opinions about that one, but humanity 24 seven live with them. I Mm. I know what they're like. And so this is a good test to my mind of whether or not a philosophical system can actually hold its own is can it make sense of the contradictions that exist within humanity? We Mm. are, uh, paradoxes. There's some great quotes, uh, Pascal and Shakespeare and others who point out what what ridiculous creatures we are <laughs> in that we're not animals and we're not angels and we're kind of somewhere in between so we're, we we we're, we're capable of beauty and and goodness and ugliness and hatred <laughs> right, right alongside it right. and how do you make sense of all of that and a number of other tensions as well most uh, systems are going to end up having to deny one aspect of what we are. Hmm. So, for example, you're going to have to make us pure spirit, because matter is just illusion.
0: As some philosophers have done. Yes. That's Gnosticism, essentially.
1: Gnosticism, Eastern religions would fall into that category as well. All the material world is uh, illusion. Uh, And that messes with some things in terms uh, terms of uh, how important the physical is. Um, I think that that denies a core part of our humanity, our individuality as well. Or you we can go the other route and say, well, we're just matter, time plus right. matter plus chance. There is no spirit, uh, and of course that leads to um, well, just some dark stuff. You know, got to kind of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, and right. that was it. You can't really have meaning or purpose or value it makes no difference if you live a good life or a bad life you can't define good or bad anyway but from what we would think of as being good or bad because at the end of the day the sun burns out no one remembers who cares
0: right and and all it takes is for one strong man to take that ideology and you know because it's all well and good right brandon when when someone says well okay without god Then all we do is we just say, you know what, the important thing is what we might call human flourishing Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever's, you know, sort of a utilitarian ethic, whatever's best for the most number of people. The problem is all it takes is one strong man to come along and say, well, why is that best? Right. Why isn't it what I want that's best? Mm -hmm. And who's to say I'm wrong? And if I can gather an army and I can get control of the guns and I can get control of the schools and I can get control of the prisons and I can get control of the laws and the courts, who's to stop me? Who's to say I can't just run roughshod through this nation? And hey, who's to say the national boundaries mean anything? Maybe I'll go into uh, Austria. Maybe I'll go into Poland and France and Great Britain. Hypothetically, Hypothetically we can imagine somebody, you know, it's not like we have... Uh, a century, the 20th century, is filled with, with examples. examples of people who say, uh, "If if man is the measure of all things, then nothing is is uh, impermissible for
1: me." Absolutely, uh, and you see the challenge too, just in terms of uh, again our current cultural ethos and and the desire for the open-mindedness right. and the and multiculturalism and it, where it, it it crashes up against each other. Because what if um, you know that that whole idea of uh, human flourishing or what's good. What if we disagree about that? Mm. What if female genital mutilation is a good thing in in cultures? As mm. it is, by the way,
0: it's uh, called a good thing.
1: It's called a good right. thing. Absolutely, it's regarded as a good thing. Uh, what if uh, burning a widow on a funeral pyre is considered a, a good thing? Right. Um, what if there's a sincerely held belief that women are inferior or that members of another race are inferior? We now have lost sort of any ability to adjudicate uh, between these claims, and so you've really stripped away any sense, as I said, of, of value, morality, these things that, at the end of the day, we know they're true. Right. We know we know they're true. Romans two would tell us the moral law is written on our hearts. Mm. That's why we know they're true.
0: Right. And Romans one would tell us that we suppress that truth. We do suppress that truth. Okay. So before we circle back around, because we've got we've got a few minutes left here, but I, and I I want to talk about salvation like no other okay okay but before we do um i think it's important to note too that really you've only you've only got three possible ways of looking at ultimate reality you've got as and, and you've alluded to this you've actually discussed it i think in detail but i want to kind of just lay it out you've either got an ultimate reality that is ultimate but impersonal like Brahman and hinduism like The cosmos in atheistic naturalism, Mm -hmm. whatever is out there is ultimate unlimited unbounded, but we can't know it. Mm -hmm. The universe may have a wonderful plan for my life, but I'll never have a personal relationship with the universe. And who's to say the universe is good or has my best interest in art. Okay. Um, The flip side of that the alternative to that number two is ultimate reality is personal but really not ultimate. We, can, we might say prime reality is personal, but not ultimate. Here are your Greek gods, mm-hmm. your your Hinduistic uh, deities that control our lives, but they're capricious. Mm-hmm. I think back uh, to Hercules. Remember the Hercules series? Yeah. It was the most watched show in television in the 90s, at least for a time. At least that's what Kevin Sorbo, the main actor, says to this day. Maybe it's true. Um, he's a Christian <laughs> now, by the way, and, and stars in some movies. All right. Um, but... Uh, the idea is the gods are capricious Mm. and cruel and it's up to Hercules to oppose them. Mm. And really it's kind of man versus God, but God is sort of an exalted man and they're in control of our lives, but they're not objectively good. They're not ultimate. They're not universal. They're not, you know, uh, infinite. Okay. But the third option is God ultimate reality is personal Mm -hmm. and ultimate. Mm -hmm. And there's really only three religions that would make the claim of having an ultimate reality based in, in that kind of deity. You've got Judaism, you've got Christianity, and you've got Islam. And interestingly, and this is um, not gonna make me too many friends from those religions, but Judaism is post Second Temple Judaism, which is really uh, Pharisaical Judaism developed after the destruction of the temple, right? And And really developed in large, measure in response to christianity it's christian judaism today is developed to deny the messiahship of jesus as as well as coming up with a system of how do we have this religion now that there's no temple okay Okay. um islam kind of similar it's sort of a post-christian kind of monotheistic but we don't want the trinity mm-hmm. kind of uh system that was developed in response to christianity so the two major contenders with christianity are sort of developed in response to christianity um and yet obviously we think christianity gets it right i'm i'm right i mean this is where we're at this is That's, why we're sitting here. this is
1: why we're at.
0: <laughs> this is this is this is why this is why we're having this conversation um so now what makes the what makes the salvific salvation system of christianity different than its two major contenders and different from everything else
1: mm-hmm. yeah the simple one word answer is grace of course is what makes uh, it all different uh, we we looked at romans 3 21 to 26 which is maybe the central passage in the New Testament, you know, the most concise explanation of the gospel. Uh, But what do we see there? Um, Well, we see a couple things that make Christianity unique. First of all, we've got a bigger problem in Christianity than we've got anywhere else, because our problem is not an accounting problem, it's a personal problem. So it's not that uh, the scales are a little out of whack. I got a little more bad than good, and what I need to do is try and tip the scales back in my favor so that I, I get over that threshold that gets me into paradise or whatever. Uh, the problem is that I have personally offended a holy God. Again, it's not that I've broken the laws of my king, which would merit um, a punishment, a fine, something like that, a few few days in jail. No, it's that I have wanted the king dead. Hmm. That's treason and that's punished differently. And so I've got this serious problem. Uh, the wrath of God is being revealed against humanity, Paul tells us in Romans 1. Uh, that's the you know, part of the righteousness being revealed is that God is himself righteous and he cannot abide evil. And so hmm. our problem is not that we need to get ourselves into better shape here, that we need to you know, d- d- try a little harder or something like that. Our problem is that we are dead in transgression and sin, and that we are under the wrath of God. So our problem is God.
0: So in, in the starting point for the Christian concept of salvation is not... Um, we're hanging off the edge of a cliff. We just need to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Yeah. Dead people don't have the ability to pull Can't themselves up exactly. by their bootstraps.
1: So you're going to the doctor and the doctor says, Joel, man, you are making some bad life decisions here. Right. You don't change your diet. You don't start exercising. You don't, you're, you don't have longer to, to live. Right. And you, okay, you can, you're still capable of changing your diet. I'm gonna go your keto. I'm gonna do exactly. the South Beach diet. I'm gonna do whatever, All I'm gonna exercise. Stuff. Yeah. But if you're dead, it does not matter what the doctor tells you. There's nothing you can do about it. Right,
0: you're in the morgue. You're in the drawer. You got a tag on your toe. You're not coming out of there, barring some kind of, literally a miracle. Miracle. It would have Somebody to. Somebody else a miracle. has
1: got to do something. So mm-hmm. yeah, if we've got a, uh, a a problem that's worse than any other religion describes it, the good news is we've also got a salvation that's better. Um, so the, the bad news is worse, but the mm-hmm. good news is better. And the good news is that can I get an amen yeah, to that? Yeah, there we go. It's, it's Baptist preaching right there. Amen. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, uh, as Romans three has it. And so, uh, as, as you know, that that sacrifice of atonement translates uh, a, a rare Greek word. Only time to use the New Testament. Alistirian. Uh, yeah, that's right. And the idea is one of propitiation. Um, propitiation we don't use a lot today, but to appease wrath. Mm. That's our problem. And so it's interesting, of course, God is the one who's very angry with us, and God is one from whom we need to be saved, and yet God is the one who saves those people <laughs> right. that he's very angry with. Right, so so the problem, the starting point
0: in Christian salvation the the enemy we might think of is the devil,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know. No, 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 the enemy is God That's to right. begin with, because
1: we're on the devil's side. Right, we have made ourselves God's enemies.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Through we've, we 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 tried to mount the campaign, lead the rebellion against the throne of God, and and some do this more willingly than other, or uh, we might say, willfully mm-hmm. and self consciously than others. But we're all doing we're it. All doing. It. We're all on the same team, and
1: it ain't God's. Absolutely.
0: All right. All right, so the solution is better. Um, I think
1: John Stott said it. it great. He, he said, uh, you know, at the cross, divine love triumphs over divine wrath by divine self-sacrifice. And the word that comes up a lot there is divine, as in God is doing something, and I contribute nothing to this other than the sin from which I need to be saved.
0: Divine love, divine wrath,
1: divine, divine self-sacrifice. self-sacrifice. Good, I love when we're dealing with things with three. That's right. Love it, love yeah. it. Very, very uh perspectival So this salvation, then, by grace through faith, Mm -hmm. and of course we get into all that. But uh, what's interesting about this is that it produces something different. So it's a salvation leads to something different, unique than any other religion, Um, because it's interesting. Salvation in every other religion is the culmination of your religious efforts, but in Christianity, salvation is the initiation into your new life right as opposed to the culmination of it and so we are uh created in christ jesus to do good works for which you know which god prepared in advance for us to do ephesians 2 10. so Mm. that's we're saved by grace through faith in order to do these good works and that changes the way we do good works look if i'm doing good works to get karma on my side the good that i'm doing for others i'm actually doing for myself Mm. and so there's this self-interest Baked into religious endeavor, and considering that our problem, as I think it was Luther who said it, is that we're bent in on ourselves. Anything that strengthens that bending in on ourselves uh, is—it's an issue. I want to
0: say that was Calvin. I could be wrong. Uh, Yeah,
1: I mean you are, but that's okay. We're used to that, Mm. No, you can fact check us later. Fact check. Was it Luther?
0: Fake news. Was it Luther or Calvin who described the curvitas and say? That's right. Maybe it was Luther. Yeah. Oh shoot! All right. You know what? This is where editing we're, is very. Uh, I say we're recording very, this. Very
1: so yes, and somebody and, jot down the time, put it in the comment section, so that we can come back to this.
0: Okay, so who, who said that the human heart was a idol factory? John Calvin. Right. So you agree that it was Calvin? Good. So let's um. Right. So see, now all I have to do is edit out <laughs> that first edited. part, the middle part there, and I get you saying right. it was Calvin. All right.
1: All right. Fair enough. <laughs> so all right. We do these good works now because we're we're saved. I'm saved by grace through faith. When God looks at me, he sees Christ's perfect righteousness already. There's nothing I can do to improve my standing with God. Right. And yet, the gospel motivates me to a whole new type of life where I'm going to pour myself out in loving self-sacrifice like Christ did for us. And it can be truly loving. Because there's no benefit to me, Mm. other than, of course, the the joy of pleasing God and and loving others. I'm sure that's a benefit, but I can be truly self-sacrificial. And that also motivates a a different sort of goodness. Most of us are willing to be good so long as the cost isn't too high. Mm. Um, But to be good... uh, when the, the cost is high enough that you're like the 10 booms or somebody you're uh, trying to to smuggle Jews, uh, hide Jews so that they're not um, you know, sent to concentration camps or something like that. Why would you, ri- you got kids, I got kids. Why would you risk your kids' lives to mm. save somebody else that you don't even know? Right. Who belongs to a different tribe than you belong to? Right. Right. Well, if you're motivated by the love of God, what are they going to take from you anyway? Right. And,
0: and all of that is we're talking about starting points. We're talking about foundations. All of that is coming from this source of incredible self-sacrificing love that has been, uh, has been you know, God has poured out His love abroad into our hearts, mm-hmm. and um, you know, or poured out His spirit, His love or His spirit that He pours into our hearts, abroad. Do you know the verse I'm talking about? You're in the wrong translation. I can't help. God, well, I'm, I get it sometimes I get a little King James when uh, yeah. when we're talking about this good this good old-fashioned <laughs> gospel. All right, so but the idea is that we've got this this fountain of living water welling up within us, and that fountain is flowing out of us. It's not something that we drum up. We're not digging in the ground, the dry desert, trying to get water. No, there's a fountain within us. It's it's bubbling up out of us, and that unconditional love of God, which would have to be unconditional to love someone like me, to love someone like you, um, sinners and rebellion against God, God loves us unconditionally, and then that love comes out in self-sacrifice Toward others. That's right. We 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 can't even help it. And there's a process of working on it, there's a process of, of sanctification where we get to join God in that. But it's all Him. We bring nothing to the table other That's than right. the sin that makes our salvation necessary, as Jonathan Edwards said, or maybe that was Luther too, you tell me. But the idea is we contribute nothing to the process other than what God gives us. That's right. Amen? Yeah. All right. Really quickly. Larry Dolendi said earlier, "I know where I'm going, and I have nothing to do with how I got there. Thank God. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tracy Gillen is watching. Tracy, thank you for watching. I'm so glad that you're you're with us. Glad you're enjoying it. And Katie Swanson is watching, and uh, Katie is um, good family friend, and um, she is the mom of one of the cutest little girls that uh, that you're ever going to meet. Little little Jane." Uh, no longer Baby Jane. We used to call her Baby Jane for a while, but um, but Katie, I'm glad you're watching, and uh, please tell Jane and Mike that we say that I say hi, not that Brandon says hi. He has no idea. But um, but yeah, okay. So so Brandon, we've got to wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, closing thoughts. What what, well, what what do you want to leave us with?
1: I mean, honestly, I would leave us with the end. It's the one piece that we didn't discuss, and I think it's a little neglected in our apologetics. Honestly, is looking at how the the end that different worldviews have to envision. The, the end, we're talking end times stuff here, so whether that's the second coming of Christ or, or something totally different in your worldview, you are logically constrained by previous beliefs in terms of what that end looks like. The importance of physical resurrection for establishing our individual immortality, what that means in terms of our uh, ability to truly love others and an other that actually exists because I actually exist as an individual, along with the confidence that wrongs will be set right, not that they'll just stop, but that they'll actually be positively transformed into goods in the way that the greatest injustice the world's ever seen the crucifixion of Christ, we celebrate, celebrate Mm. as good Friday because God used that uh, for this good, uh, seeing that justice is a real category and that justice will be done. It's not something that we have to go, tough luck, sorry, um, you drew a bad hand, and um, that's the end of the story, but don't worry, you'll be dead soon too, and it won't matter anymore. So teasing out those implications, I think, is a really useful apologetic strategy that I would commend. If you want to we cut that one short, you're welcome to check it out, cvucc.net. All the sermons are up. Um, unfortunately, my voice is this squeaky. Then too, and so it's painful to listen to. But um, some of the content is good because it's based on God's word, which is great.
0: That's where that self-sacrifice comes in. That's right. You know what? As Christians, we need to be self-sacrificing, and sometimes that. Listen, I got the same issue. I hate listening to myself preach. It's uh, it's excruciating. And um, one time, somebody asked me, "Why wouldn't, as a preacher, why wouldn't you listen to yourself? You know, to oh. get better?" Say, well. I'm thinking, have you listened to me? Yeah. That's a pretty good, That's right. it's pretty self-evident. That's um, well, We've got to wrap up. Kim, thank you for joining us. We are, we're about to wrap things up, but um, Brandon, people might hear this and they might want to get in touch with you, follow along with uh, some of the things that you're doing, uh, you know, listen to some of your preaching. And, and I, I was, as you know, I was listening to a, your sermon on a salvation like no other, when you came in, I was listening to it at 1.75 speed and uh, I was, I was digging it man. I was, I was loving it. I was mm-hmm. tracking with you. Um, I thought it was uh, a great exposition of God's word. If people want to get more of your content, where do they go? Uh,
1: if you look me up on Facebook, if you follow me, you'll probably get hooked into a lot of it. At least you can find that City View Community Church has a page as well. Uh, They'll be posting the sermons um, and some of the quotes from the sermons as well. Not my quotes, but usually the people that I'm quoting. I like the divine love, triumphing over divine wrath, quotes like that. Uh, So that's a great place to go for sure. You can follow me on Twitter. Um, I've got a handle. It's at followaftermin. So uh, I don't do much there, though, but uh, we we could connect that way at the very least.
0: Wonderful. All right. Um, Well, as we're wrapping up, we are here. I'm here every Monday at 9 p.m. on Facebook. It's uh, it's at the Think Institute is our page. You can go to truthinconversation.com to find out more about the Think Institute. And we're posting content a few times a week. Got a kind of a couple of new blog posts up there talking about. Biblical worldview, and uh, actually, I had an article earlier this week on the Alabama abortion ban, where I talk about uh, answering several questions that folks had about that and uh, why I am fully in favor of it, and think maybe it doesn't even go quite far enough because I think um, six weeks is a little too long uh, to wait to to ban abortion. But we've got um, fresh content going up on there. We're here every Monday. The you can catch the podcast. Pretty much late Monday nights, Tuesday mornings. And um, follow me at Joel Sadekaisa across the various platforms. Um, That about wraps it up. Brandon, do you have anything else? That's it. All right. Hope it made you think.